0: Hello, Ignite. How are you guys doing this morning? Good? Okay, great. Well, it's great to be celebrating July 4th weekend with you guys. This is my first time using a wireless mic, okay? So we're gonna see how it goes, all right? Hopefully, does this sound okay? Everything sound okay? All right, thanks. So today's passage, I wanted to read to you guys today, Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50, right? And it's about Jesus being anointed by a sinful woman, right? And this passage might sound a little bit familiar for you guys if you guys were here last month. And this was um, a passage that Pastor Tony shared last month, but I wanted to go over this message, this passage again this morning with you guys and see what additional insights that we can kind of gather from this passage, okay? So we're going to read Luke chapter 7 verse 36 to 50. and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii, and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt of both. Now which one of them loved him more? Jesus replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And you have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the women, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So why are we reading this passage again? You know, I originally wanted to share about this passage last month, right? And if you were here last month, Pastor Tony, he shared about this passage instead. And he asked me if it was okay, if he can share it. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, it's cool that you can share it. And as I was praying about what to share with you guys this week, I had either this or I had another topic on my mind. And as I was praying about which one to share with you guys this week, I just really felt like God was putting on my heart to continue to share about this message. And so now it was like a role reversal. So this week I went to Pastor Tony's office. I was like, hey, (laughs) hey. Is it okay if I share this passage again, even though you shared it last month? He said, Yeah, it's cool. And so I was like, Okay, thank you for your blessing. And I'm going to share about this passage again this time that I'm here preaching. And so, what's really great about this passage is that even though maybe sometimes the, the main point might be similar, but there's so many things that you can gather from this passage, and there's so many ways that you can get to that same point. And it really just varies person by person, because each person sees different things, gathers different things, and is able to move to the same point, but in a different way. And so today, whether you're, you know, seeing, if you're hearing this message the second time, I really, my hope is that you'll continue to get something fresh from today's message. And if this is your first time here and you didn't hear it last time, then, well, great, you know, everything's going to be fresh for you today. And if you also remember, the last time that I preached here was over a month ago. And over a month ago, what I preached here, I was preaching about Mary and Martha from Luke 10 and how they were resting at the feet of Jesus. Mary was resting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his words. And the reason why I talked about that and that topic was because at that time, everything was starting to open up again, right? It seems like the pandemic was in our rearview mirror, and now we're just moving forward. Everything's opening up again, and it seems like life is, continues to transition, continues to move forward, and things continue to get busy again, right? It's a different kind of busy, And everything's kind of opening up and we're transitioning back to work and then we're also transitioning back to church and then we're also transitioning back into our social lives, right? We're meeting with people again and it just seems like everything's so busy and at that time I preached about that because we just, it's a time, even though we're in the midst of busyness, it's a time we have to remember to rest before the Lord and we we saw Mary's example in Luke chapter 10 where she just rests before the Lord and is listening to his words. And so for today, I also wanted to look at another passage in Luke. Another passage in Luke where we see a woman sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? Another passage in Luke where a woman is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And then we can see what can we learn from this passage? What can we learn about this woman and how we can apply the lessons from her life and this story into our own lives, So the first thing that I want to highlight from this passage, the first thing I want to highlight this passage is that it's very interesting is that this passage actually doesn't tell you the specific sin that the woman commits. Don't you find that kind of fascinating? That it actually doesn't list the specific sin that the woman commits. It only states in in verses 37 and in verse 39. It only states that a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, that's all they say about her life, and then in verse 39, it's Simon the Pharisee, right? And he's the one that brings up to Jesus, hey, Jesus, if you were a real prophet of God, right, you would know who is touching you and what kind of woman she is. She is a sinner. And that's the only thing that we know about this woman's life. Right? And if you read Bible commentary, they might infer that maybe her, her life, that the sin that they were talking about, maybe she was a prostitute. But it doesn't actually ever explicitly state in the passage what is the sin that she commits. And so no one really knows for sure. So only people can say, well, we think or we infer. And what I find very fascinating is that the author of Luke, which happens to be Luke, right? So the author of Luke, he either assumes that everyone already knows what that sin is, so he doesn't need to explicitly tell anyone, Or maybe, you know, in my personal belief, maybe the reason why he doesn't include it is because it's not really the main point of the story. Her specific sin is not the main point of the story. But it's very interesting that, at least maybe for some of us, maybe someone like me, you know, sometimes the natural thing we think about is when we think, oh, a sinful life, a sinful woman, or sinful man, the first thing we think, oh, what's that sin that they committed? (laughs) Like, we want to know, right? Ooh, what is it? Let's infer from the passage what that sin is. What did that person do? What I find fascinating is that Luke, when he writes this, he doesn't include that. Because that's not the main point of this passage. It's probably an unnecessary detail. And in fact, if he included that in there, if he included that, detail, it might even distract you from the main point of this passage. But what I also find very fascinating is that Luke doesn't really mention that, right, what the specific is. But what's fascinating is that Simon... Simon the Pharisee, you'll see in the story, it's Simon the Pharisee that's the one that has to point out to Jesus that she is a sinful woman, that she is a sinner. It's very fascinating. It's Simon the Pharisee, for him, that's a very important aspect of this person's life. Like, ooh, I need to point out to Jesus that this person's sinful. It's the religious person who invites Jesus over to his house that points out in verse 39, hey, Do you know that the person washing your feet right now is a sinner? For some reason, this fact was important to him. And it's kind of weird when you think about it. You know, Simon the Pharisee, that's kind of a weird tendency. He's like pointing out another person's sin to another person. Like, hey, do you know that person's sinner? But what's fascinating is that Simon has other weird tendencies too. Right, when we see this. So his first weird tendency is like, "Oh, he has to point out, oh, this person's a sinner. Do you know this person's a sinner?" But then what's funny is that when he says that and then Jesus responds to him. Jesus responds in verse 40, right? In 39 he mentions that she's a sinner, and then Jesus responds to him in verse 40 says, "Jesus tells Simon, I have something to tell you." Right? In response to Simon the Pharisee, he says, "I have something to tell you." And Simon replies, "Tell me, teacher." Right, so it's, it's, it's weird. It's like Simon gives this kind of like, kind of this respectful response or it seems like a respectful response. He's like, oh, tell me, teacher. And then in verse 43, right, after Jesus gives him this story about which of the two people who had their debts forgiven would love the money lender more. And in verse 43, Simon replies to that story and says, I suppose... The one who had the bigger debt forgiven? And don't you think it's kind of weird that he has to add this prefix like, I suppose? I suppose the one that who had the bigger debt forgiven? How come he just didn't say, Oh, the one who had the bigger debt forgiven? And it's weird. It's like kind of a weird, like when you really think about it, like he does like three weird things in this passage. The first weird thing is he's like he's pointing out this other person's sin. And the second thing, he gives kind of like this fake praise, like, oh, well, tell me, teacher. And then the third weird thing he kind of does is he gives like kind of this snarky response back to Jesus. Was like, oh, I suppose, well, that's the answer. And when you think about it, I, have you guys ever met someone like Simon? Have you ever met someone like Simon? It's, it's, it's kind of like this, it's hard to describe, but it's kind of like this weird, annoying tendency. <laughs> and you, when, you, when you think about it, why, why is it like, why is it kind of weird? Why is it kind of annoying? Like when, when, you, when we, we, we speak out loud, like, yeah, you know, like if I met someone like that, or if you've been thinking about someone like that, you're like, yeah, that, that's kind of weird. You know, when I think about it now, I mean, it does seem normal on the outside. I mean, it's hard to say exactly why it's weird, but, you know, this guy seems normal. He seems to be saying the right stuff. But kind of inside your heart, you kind of feel like, oh, this is something wrong. Something's a little off. Why is it weird? And that's what happens when you become self-righteous. When you start becoming a self-righteous person, it's weird. It's kind of hard to describe exactly what it is. Like, you probably say everything right. You do all the right things. But you just kind of give off this weird vibe, like this creeper vibe, like, Dude, you're kind of weird. You're kind of annoying. Like, what's going on? And it's because, like, in your mind, right, it's for some reason when you're very self-righteous, you tend to see all the things that other people are doing wrong, and you tend not to see all the things that you can work on. You start to focus a lot about what other people are doing and their sins and their shortcomings and their failures, And you tend to gloss over yourself. And you think, oh, I'm all good. I'm perfect. I don't need help. It's other people that have a problem, but I don't have a problem. And the Pharisees, including Simon, were like that. And Jesus spends a lot of time in Luke rebuking the Pharisees. And last time when I preached, I shared about this passage, and I wanted to share it again. I'm kind of going to go over some of the same things. Because I really do feel it's important, and it illustrates, it illustrates the point. And so in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. To some who are confident of their own righteousness, and they look down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, back in the times of Jesus, the Pharisees The Pharisees were the religious and the political and the spiritual leaders of the community. And Jesus, he comes on the scene and he just rebukes them. And not only does he rebuke them one time, he continues to rebuke them over and over and over again, which keeps pissing them off. And eventually it pisses them off so much that they eventually want to kill him for it. And because they are the leaders of society, they are eventually successful in killing him, and eventually they do kill him by crucifying him on the cross. And so when you have to imagine the kind of the prayer of the Pharisee and the tax collector, what would it look like today? And I shared this last time, but I wanted to share it again, is what would that prayer look like today? Right, the prayer of the Pharisee might go something like this if it was happening today. You may pray, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm not like these other people over here. I thank you that I'm not like these liberals over here. I'm thankful that I'm not these conservatives over here. I'm so thankful that I'm not like these Democrats over here. I'm so thankful that I'm not like these Republicans over here. And I use the word liberal and conservative and Democrat and Republican. But really, you can just use any kind of descriptive words to put in that place. You can just say, dear God, I'm just so thankful that I'm not like the other people. I'm not like... And you just list off any descriptive words that you can think of. But on the other hand, the tax collector, the person that Jesus said stood justified before God, that he was righteous before God. The tax collector, he prayed like this. He stood from a distance. He stood from a distance. And he could not even look up. He looked down and he beat his chest. And he said, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. You see, self-righteous people, they tend to have They have this tendency where they see other people's shortcomings and other people's sin, but they don't see their own. And in fact, they don't even recognize the need for a savior. But on the other hand, the tax collector, the tax collector and the woman, they saw their own shortcomings. They saw their own need for God and they saw their need for a Savior. And now, if you had to apply this to your own life, like just being honest to yourself, right? No, we're not speaking out loud. You're not like telling other people what you're thinking. But if you just had to really think in your own mind, which one are you? Which one are all of us? Do we tend to be more, like only you know, do you tend to be more like, The Pharisee and Simon, do you tend to really see the flaws and the problems of other people? Or do you tend to be more like the tax collector and the women? Where you kind of see your own need for a savior. You see that you need God in your life. And this leads to my second point. The second thing I wanted to highlight for you guys today in this passage is that it's the faith, it's the faith of the woman that saves her. In verse 50, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has saved you, right? And as a result of her faith, her sins are forgiven, right? In verse 48, it says, Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And then as a result of her sins being forgiven, She's able to love greatly. And in verse 47, Jesus says, Her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. And so what's very interesting and fascinating for me in this passage is actually the order of operation here, right? The passage shows a sort of order of operation, but actually the real order of operation is actually inverse, it's actually reversed. Right? When we read the passage, the first thing we read is that she has this great love. She loves greatly. She loves Jesus greatly. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And then at the end, he says, your faith has saved you. But reality, in reality, what really actually has happened, what really actually happened is that her faith has saved her. Her faith has saved her. Her faith leads her to believe that her sins are forgiven. And then when she believes that her sins are forgiven, she's able to love greatly. So when you read this, it's kind of like watching a movie where you kind of see the ending first. And then the movie takes its time showing you how it got to that point in the movie. And this is important to note. It's because... Her forgiveness, the forgiveness that she received, that's kind of in the middle of this order of operation. This forgiveness that she received, it's not the result of her works. It's not the result of her work of love. It's not the result of her great love. It's not because she had great love that she was forgiven. But it's important to remember that her forgiveness actually comes from the result of her faith. It's her faith that leads her to her forgiveness, And what is faith? What is faith? In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 gives this definition of what faith is. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is assurance about what we do not see. So how can someone prove that their sins are forgiven? Have you ever thought about that? How can you prove that your sins are forgiven? At least for me, I can't think of a way you can prove that your sins are forgiven. You can't really. Like, if you want to do a scientific method to say, I'm going to use the scientific method. and I'm going to prove that your sins are forgiven and that my sins are forgiven. You can't do that. There is no scientific method to do that. Right? The only reason why I believe that your sins are forgiven and my sins are forgiven, we only believe that by faith. We believe it by faith, that we believe that when Jesus says that he can and that he will and that he has the power to forgive your sins, we take it by faith. We believe it by faith. And if you truly, if you truly believe that and you genuinely believe that Jesus can do what he says that he does, if you truly believe that and you genuinely believe that, then as a result, as a result, you will be grateful beyond measure. If you truly believe that Jesus has forgiven your sins, that he can do what he says that he can do, and he has the power to do it, if you truly believe it, you will be grateful beyond measure, you'll be so happy. And as a result of that, you will love greatly. You will love greatly. And that's what we see happening in this story with this woman. She had the faith to believe that Jesus could forgive her sins. And as a result, she was able to love Jesus greatly. You know, the passage says in verse 37 and 38, it says that she wets Jesus' feet with her tears. And then wipes them with her hair and then kisses them (laughs) and then pours perfume on them from her alabaster jar. And I'm not like 100% sure of all the customs and the traditions of that time. But I would imagine if you imagine today you saw someone like wetting someone's feet with their tears and then like using their hair to like clean up the tears and then kissing them and then using perfume to like make it smell nice. You would be like, wow, that person is uh, really, really grateful and happy and loving. It's like a little weird. It would be like beyond measure. It's like, oh, I've never even seen this happen before. And like what Pastor Tony said last time, this alabaster jar that had the perfume This was something of great value to her. And she used this to pour on Jesus' feet. What used to be of great value for her, this alabaster jar of perfume, she found something that was even greater value to her, Jesus. Jesus. And so for her, it's no longer like, she's probably not, it's probably not even a fair trade. She probably got the better end of the deal. She traded something that was of some worth for something now that is of great worth. And then we see this. We see this contrast. We see her approach Her attitude toward Jesus, and this is contrasted with Simon the Pharisee's approach and how he welcomes Jesus. Jesus says in verse 44 to 46, he says to Simon, I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not even give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. We see this huge contrast, this huge difference of how the woman welcomes Jesus and how Simon welcomes Jesus. Simon's response shows what's in his heart. and the woman's response shows what's in her heart and the reason why you see such a stark contrast such a large contrast such a huge difference in the way that they approach Jesus is because Simon did not see himself as someone that needed forgiveness he did not see himself that need to be forgiven of his sins he did not see that he needed his sins to be as forgiven as much as the woman did. Even though Simon was a Pharisee, and that means he was a religious leader, and that means he knew the laws very well, even though he was a Pharisee, it was the woman who actually had a better understanding of the depths of their sins. And she had a better understanding of the multitude the magnitude of what Jesus was doing for them. And so now if you're applying this to your own life, which one are you in this story? And it's the same as before. You're not telling anyone. It's just between you and God. If you just kind of reflect right now, if you're honestly thinking to yourself, which one are you in this story? How well do you truly understand what Jesus did for you when he says that he has forgiven your sins? When you respond to Jesus, do you see yourself responding more like Simon the Pharisee? Where it's like, ah, cool, thanks. Or do you see yourself responding like the woman who gave Jesus everything? Everything. And this brings me to my third point, and the third thing I wanted to highlight for you guys today. Is that from this passage, is that after her sins are forgiven, she leaves in peace. In verse 50, Jesus says this, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, True peace only comes when you have a right relationship with God. True peace comes when you know that your sins are forgiven before God and that you can be justified and stand righteous before him because of Jesus Christ. You know sin sin is like a poison Okay, it's actually OK, it's not actually like a poison. It actually is poison. Sin is a poison. And if you don't get rid of sin, what happens is that eventually it will kill you, both physically and spiritually. I'll give you an example, right. Have you guys ever thought about how to kill ants? Like, kill ants long term. I'm not sure about you guys, but actually my house is kind of, it kind of sucks, but my house has kind of like an ant problem. There's always ants around, so I'm always thinking about, like, how do I kill these ants? And there's two ways that you can probably kill these ants. All right? One way is to give them, is to spray. is a spray. You spray the ants. But if What happens though is spray is just a temporary fix. Like you spray and it'll kill the ants. But after the scent goes away, there's like a scent that the spray leaves. But after that scent goes away, then the ants will come back. And then you got to spray again. And so when you want to kill ants long-term, what they suggest is actually you give them poison. (laughs) I know, it sounds cruel, right? (laughs) And so the poison, what happens is the ants, they'll find the poison. And in the beginning, man, they love it. Like it's so yummy and tasty. It's like, "Mm, mm-mm, good. You'll start seeing these ants. First it'll be like one. And then they'll tell their buddies. And you'll see like a dozen. They'll tell more buddies. There'll be hundreds. And they'll tell more. And then suddenly you'll see thousands of ants swarming this poison. And they're just like eating it and chomping it down. And you can just see them so happy, frantically, like going around. And they're probably thinking, this is so yummy. This is so tasty. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. This is the best day of my life. Things can't get any better. Well, it's very fascinating, and what's very interesting is that after a few days, after a few days, the ants start dying. And not only are the ants dying that are getting this, the ants, they've, they've spread this food to their colony and have spread the food to their queen. And when the colony eats it and when the queen eats it, they start to die. And when the queen dies, the whole colony dies because the queen is the only one that produces more ants. And every time I think about ants, <laughs> I think about sin at how sin works. You know, in the beginning, sin feels amazing. It feels awesome. Why else would we do it? You know, nobody would choose to sin if it didn't feel good. Sin feels good. That's why we do it. But what happens when you choose sin is, yes, you feels good in the beginning, and it may give you temporary relief from any of the pains and the pressures that you may be experiencing. But the long term, sin will lead to death, both physically and spiritually. Maybe it won't happen the next day. Maybe it won't happen the next week. It may not even happen the next month. It may not even happen the next year. But eventually, eventually, sin will lead to death. Romans 6:23 says this: "For the wages of sin is death <laughs> But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." And here's another reflection point when you think about it. If you're just being honest with yourself, you're really thinking about it, just between you and God, think about it. Has sin ever brought you true peace? Yeah, sin probably gives you a temporary relief and pressure and pain, but if you're honest with yourself, does it usually make you feel like crap afterwards? Shortly afterwards, after you've sinned, you feel Yeah, it was good at that moment, but afterwards, I kind of feel like crap. And I kind of feel shameful now, and I feel kind of guilty. And then when you start feeling that, you're like, okay, well, maybe I'll sin a little bit more to numb that pain. (laughs) And to make myself feel feel a little bit better from that. So you sin a little bit more, and you feel, and yeah, you feel temporarily relieved. And then after that, you feel even more guilty. You feel more crappy, and you feel more sinful. And then what happens is that you you feel so bad about yourself now, you feel like, oh, man, I can't come to church anymore. God doesn't love me. God hates me. I'm a sinner. I can't come to church anymore. And then you just stop coming to church. You stop going to life groups. And you think, how can God love a sinner like me? How can God love such a hot mess like me? How can God love someone like me who keeps screwing things over and over and over again but i'm here to tell you the good news i'm here to tell you the great news i'm here to tell you the best news that jesus does forgive you that jesus forgives your sins And all you have to do, all you have to do to come before God again and come before him with a clean slate, all you have to do is that you have to have the faith to believe that when you ask him for this, that he will do it for you, that he can do it for you, and that he has the power to do it for you. And so today, I want to leave all of you guys today. I want you guys to leave this place today with a sense of true peace. You know, true, absolute peace, we probably will never experience it until we get to heaven. But we can get a taste of it here on earth as it is in heaven. And my hope today, when you came to this service... And as you leave this service is that we will get a sense of true peace. A true peace that comes when you are in right relationship with God. A true peace that comes when you know your sins are forgiven before God. That now you stand justified and righteous before God.